How many of you, like me, have run your car, I mean, to the point that it's running on fumes at some point of your life, okay? How many wives think that that's an indoor sport for your husband? And I mean, after all, now we have this little light that goes on to tell you when it's really down there, and I can actually go on my tripometer and know exactly how many miles I go till I run out of gas. It's pretty cool. By the way, how many husbands think that your wife likes to leave the car out of gas just so you get to serve her and to fill it? I mean, really. Okay. Last summer, uh, five of us went on a motorcycle ride down to North Carolina to the Smokies, something we've done for a, a few years, and um, two long days of driving. And um, we're, we're going to be in the western part of North Carolina and when we, uh, when we got to the end of that day, we were pretty tired. And none of us had really been on those routes before. And um, what we didn't know is only two ways to get over the mountains to where we needed to be. And when we got kind of committed to the way we were going to go, we get to a sign that says, Tale of the Dragon. Now, the Tale of the Dragon is like the most famous, most challenging motorcycle ride in North America. It's filled with 15-mile-an-hour, 20-mile-an-hour, 30-mile-an-hour corners, most of which come out of the corner going with the wrong bank. And it's 11 miles of that. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm leading this thing, and it's just kind of challenging. But what made it worse is three of the motorcycles were very low on gas at that point. And there were no gas stations along that route. And we come to the end of the Tale of the Dragon. We make it through there, and there's, there's a gas station there, but it's closed. We go about four or five miles further, another gas station that I located. It's closed. We actually kind of go up a mountain and, and going down the mountain, and some of the bikes were just chugging, literally running on fumes, and we get to a gas station just as the gas station is closing. I mean, they're turning off the lights, and I go in, and I, and I plead with the lady, please, we need gas, and she was kind enough to let us fill. Friends, there's times when in our lives we're running on empty. Only it's not the gas in the tank of your car, it's the spiritual fuel of your life. And I wonder if you've experienced that, maybe experiencing it today, running on empty, to be hollow, to be unfulfilled, to be depleted, to lack the enthusiasm or energy or resources to just cope with life. It was Aristotle, the philosopher, who came up with the, with the experiment that said, nature itself abhors a vacuum. And that's now a, a principle of physics. Uh, others like Galileo and um, Pascal, Sir Isaac Newton, all studied this and said that if you have a vacuum where there's no air in it, it, it as soon as it has access there, it will suck all that air in. Nature itself abhors a vacuum. You know, your soul is like that. And there's something in your soul that longs to be filled. So much so that you will sometimes fill it with the wrong things just to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Not true? Nature itself abhors a vacuum. And the good news is this. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, 10, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. He also, in that same passage, says Satan, will, the enemy, will try to tempt you, and he's come to, to kill and to steal and to destroy. 
So in other words, what Satan is trying to get us to do is to do things that are going to leave us empty even if we think they bring temporary fulfillment. But Jesus has promised that he would really fill us and provide that for us. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who at least for the first part of his life was the wisest man that ever lived, tells his story about how he tried to find fullness. And the key word of the book of Ecclesiastes is the word that's used repeatedly in, in almost every chapter about being empty, about vanity, about life just being like soap bubbles or just like smoke, no real fulfillment. And Solomon had the opportunity to try it all. He had power and he had incredible wealth. He had learning and he had all kinds of experiments. He had building projects. He had all kinds of things to try to find fulfillment in his life. He had a thousand wives and concubines. That would kind of cause me to question his wisdom, but he had that. And if, if, if living for pleasure was it, Solomon had every opportunity to do that. But here's what he says. It's all empty. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill that emptiness. It causes you to run on empty. Friends, listen, even the good gifts of God will not ultimately satisfy you unless God is your source of satisfaction. Even the good gifts of God will not satisfy you unless you first find in him that abundance, that fullness that he has provided. Well, contrast the book of Ecclesiastes with the book of Ephesians. Someone has called Ephesians the Alps of the New Testament, uh, compared it to the book of Joshua, where Joshua talks about the conquest and claiming the inheritance, and Ephesians talks about our inheritance in Christ and where you can find satisfaction, where you can find fulfillment. Interesting, 35 times in the six chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ. Look up here for just a minute. In Christ. So this, is, this represents Jesus Christ. This represents you. And when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are joined to Christ so that the Bible actually describes in Ephesians, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. It is a spiritually organic union that you have with him through the work of the Spirit that you are actually in Christ and Christ is in you. And Paul uses that 35 times in one book. It's a major point of the book, being in Christ. Being in Christ means that you and I, who are believers in Jesus Christ, have the potential to live lives that are abundant and full. And I say potential because we may not be living in that life right now. But the potential is there because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. So after Paul talks about our position in Christ in the first three chapters, he then talks about the practice of the Christian life in the last three chapters. He gives the doctrinal foundation in chapters 1 to 3, and he gives the practical applications in chapters 4 to 6. But throughout this book, woven into the fabric of the book of Ephesians, four times Paul talks about what it means to live a full life. What it means to live a life that is really complete and full. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians in the first chapter. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 um, has this incredible praise, worship section, and um, a prayer that uh, really begins in verse 15. And he, he, it's, a, it's a Trinitarian prayer. He prays to God the Father. He prays to Christ. He prays to the Holy Spirit. He prays for their eyes to be open. 
verse 19, that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. His power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Christ's resurrection we celebrated on Easter. And he seated him, this is Christ's ascension and enthronement at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Nobody has greater authority, greater position, greater power than our sovereign Jesus. Nobody even comes close. That's what it's saying. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The church, which is his body. He uses the physical body as a metaphor for what the church is. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul comes to the end of this prayer, end of this chapter. And he says, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is risen, and Christ is exalted, and Christ is ascended, and Christ is enthroned, and Christ is the head of the church. And Christ, as the head of the church, wants to fill his body, the church. Friends, listen, the Lord Jesus wants to fill us with himself. He wants to fill us with himself. But one of the things that fascinated me about this, this study this week in Ephesians is that in the four passages where he talks about fullness, all of them focus on our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, but they also focus on our horizontal relationship with one another. Every one of them. That this relationship that brings fullness is my relationship with Christ, but it's also my relationship with you. And, and the body metaphor says we are interdependent and we need each other. That we're in Christ, but we're also in one another. And we need one another. Christ wants to fill that emptiness in you when you're running on empty with himself. Have you discovered that there is no ultimate meaning or fulfillment or satisfaction in life apart from Christ? You may be here today and you're sort of checking out Christianity, but you've never really crossed the line of, of making a personal commitment to Jesus Christ and inviting him to be your Savior, inviting him to be your Lord, and, and, and embracing what he did on the cross for you. Friends, I want you to know, you will never find satisfaction. You will always run on empty until you come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you then have a potential because he now is in you and you are in him. And if you haven't done that, we want to just tell you, we're here to help you on that journey to find just how much he cares for you. And then to find it together, to find it together. I want you to look at this, uh, the second passage. Look with me in chapter 3. This is one of my favorite prayers of Paul in the entire Bible. It starts at about verse 14. He talks about bowing his knees to the Father, chapter 3, verse 14. The Father from whom the, every family in heaven on earth finds its name, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted like a tree and grounded like the foundation of a building, may find strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. And then he explains to him who's able to do far abund more abundantly than all we ask or think 
according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Again, look at verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. God not only wants to fill you with Christ, he wants to fill you with the love of God. And in this prayer, Paul talks about our experience of God's love, being filled with the love of God. He talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that actually gives you a capacity to experience God's love and love God back in a way you couldn't otherwise, and also to love other believers. The Holy Spirit gives you that capacity. You know, one of the eye-opening, awakening kind of things in my life happened when I got married And I realized more than any experience in my life how selfish I was. Some of you are nodding your heads, you understand. Some of you should be nodding your heads, and you ought to understand. Because marriage is such an intimate, close relationship that I got exposed for how self-centered I was. And friends, I discovered from Scripture that the opposite of love is selfishness. And I realized that in my sinfulness and my fallenness, I am a selfish person. And I couldn't couldn't love my wife the way God wants me to love her simply by trying harder. And what I really needed was a transforming power of the love of God in me. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is shed abroad in your heart that you might experience that love. And here it says through the Spirit, you can do that. And he also says, together with all saints... Friends, I can't just experience the love of God alone. I have to experience it in the community of other believers. This week, I had a funeral for um, the daughter of some friends of ours. And their whole small group showed up at the funeral. I mean, they were there in the middle of the day. They were there and surrounding them with love, surrounding them with care. And see, we do life together. That's why we have small groups. That's why we need the church. Friends, to experience the love of God, you need the Spirit, but you also need one another. And and Paul here says that you might be able to comprehend with all saints, together with one another, the dimensions of God's love. That you are already rooted like a tree in his love. You're already grounded on the foundation of his love. But the experience of his love is an ongoing thing. That you would know how wide his love is, that it extends to all mankind. How deep his love is, that it would actually take him from heaven to earth. How high his love is, that it would reach all the way, but take you to heaven. To the breadth and depth and length and height of the love of God. God is saying this, friends. He wants to fill you with the experience of his love. He wants you to actually experience his love. It's not enough just to know that you're loved by God. Through the Holy Spirit, through the body of Christ, he wants you to experience that love. So out of an overflow of your heart, the overflow of your soul, when you are full of the love of God, you have a capacity to love other people who don't always deserve it and don't always respond nicely. You have a capacity to love your kids. You have a capacity to love your your mates. You have a capacity to love your friends. You have a capacity to love people that need Jesus that you'd never otherwise have. You'd never otherwise have. David said it this way, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. Where I grew up in upstate New York, um, we didn't have a well when I grew up. We had springs at the bottom of a mountain that fed into a 
uh, kind of a container there, and then, then from there went into the basement of our house. My dad constructed four big plastic tanks there. It looked like a still down in the, in the basement. And when all four of those tanks were full, the water would run out of, you're probably wondering, how do I know what a still looks like? Um, the water runs out of that and under the driveway into our fire pond. And I can remember as a boy being there at that pipe and watching water gushing out in the spring and saying, man, that means the springs are full, the reservoir's full, the tanks are full, we have all the water that we need. And friends, God wants to fill you to overflowing with his love. That's what he wants to do. And he wants you to experience that one day at a time and to do that together. Turn to chapter 4 and look what he says about fullness. Paul, in this passage, talks about our ascension, Jesus' ascension to heaven, starting in about verse 8. And he talks about when he ascended, he gave spiritual gifts to the church. He gave leaders to the church, verse 11. And he did that till we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we won't be spiritually immature children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning craftiness and cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's talking about false teachers. But he said, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint by which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so it builds itself up in love. In verse 10, he says that he might fill all things. In verse 13, it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God wants to give you fullness in Christ. He wants to give you fullness in the love of God and your experience of that love. He also wants to give you fullness in your moving towards spiritual maturity in your life. And there's some measurements here of spiritual maturity. For instance, he talks about every member taking their part in the body, that is to serve together. He talks about unity, and and a mature Christian moving towards maturity is going to protect the unity of the church. They're going to guard the unity of of other believers. He describes that how in here there's going to be discernment doctrinally, that we're not going to be swept away with false doctrine, get off base, and how our relationships are going to be characterized by truth and love. And finally, how we're going to edify and build up other believers. A person is moving towards maturity because of spiritual fullness. It's going to demonstrate those things. But what's the ultimate measure of spiritual maturity in your life? How do you know when you're maturing? And I'll tell you what, some of those are not. Some false measures of spiritual maturity that the church sometimes get caught in. Here's one, rule keeping. If I keep all the rules and I can cross my T's and dot my I's, then I'm spiritually mature. Not necessarily. You could be a great Pharisee, but not necessarily be a maturing Christian. How about, I'm just busy serving, busy, 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 busy serving. That makes a great Martha, but not a great Mary. You, you might be busy, but you may not be maturing. Friends, that's not a good measurement spiritually. Here's one, Bible knowledge. I know a lot about the Bible. I know a lot about doctrine. Friends, I've spent my life studying the Bible and in Christian higher education. I want to tell you, that is not a safe measurement of spiritual maturity because it's not how much you know, but how much you're being changed by that really measures. 
So what is the, what is the measure of spiritual maturity that the Bible gives us here? It's very clear what Paul has in mind. He says that we might come, verse 13, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And again in verse 15, we might grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. Friends, have you discovered from the word of God that the only accurate measurement of where you are spiritually and if you're moving towards maturity is how much like Jesus you're becoming? And that's an all-encompassing thing. Am I thinking with the mind of Christ through Scripture? Is my character reflecting the fruit of the Spirit like Jesus? Are my relationships showing Christ's likeness at home and other places where I work? My attitudes, my character, my, my relationship with God and prayer and the Word, am I moving towards Christ's likeness in my life? Friends, a Christian life is like a slippery mountain. You're either climbing up or you're sliding down. There's no standing still in the Christian life. You're either climbing or you're slipping back. There's no standing still. Are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? It was um, about... Um, 19 years ago when we moved away from Grand Rapids the first time and I remember having the semi loaded with stuff we were moving to Pennsylvania to go work at a college and the, and the, and the semi truck was loaded we pulled down the gate there was hardly room for air in it put one of those little um, things on it to seal it so it could go across the border in Canada and um, just as we did that, I turned to my wife, Bert, and she said, I, I wish we had taken the two-by-four downstairs where we had measured the kids. And it was in our furnace room, and it was just a, a part of a doorway, electrical. I said, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no way I could do that. We sold the house. I can't go in there and take a two-by-four out, out of the doorway. She said, I know, I know. And I thought, well, she'll, she'll get over it. She didn't. So um, about every six months, she'd say, I wish we had taken that two by four. I mean, I would, the kids would come and say, Dad, would you, I think I've grown, would you measure me? So I'd take my tape measure, and I'd measure them, then I'd put it on the wall, put a scratch, put their initials on there, and I would put um, the date. I had one for Bert, five feet infinity was the date. She was never going to get any taller, okay? So I, that's, that's what I did. Our kids heard about it and found that the house was selling. And they contacted the seller and said, this is a strange request, but we'd like to do something for our mom for a special birthday. And um, they agreed to it. The sellers agreed to it and actually got a contractor in there, took the two-by-four out of the wall, put another one in place, and presented it to, to Bert for her birthday. We now have that in the corner of our sunroom, a two-by-four with all of those measurements on it. What if we had a way of measuring spiritual maturity in our life? if we had a way of measuring spiritual maturity? Are you tracking? Are you growing? Are you moving towards Christ's likeness? Another way of asking that, are you changing? Because if you're not changing, you're not growing. Growth has everything to do with transformation, with change in your life. And so fullness means I'm full of Christ, I'm full of God's love, so that I am being maturing in the process of Christ. Friends, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, 
then I want to say to you, get back in the game. Get back on the journey. God wants to change you and wants to transform you. Where are you on your journey? Where are you as a follower of Christ right now? Are you maturing? Are you growing? There's opportunities like crazy for you to do that. Don't stand still. Don't get stagnant. There's no retiring from the Christian life, friends. Keep tracking. One final um, passage here. If you turn to Ephesians 5.18, in the middle of this passage, Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. He said, um, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the context before that, he said, be careful how you walk, walk in wisdom, steward your time well, verse 16, understand what God's will is. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And the expression of that Spirit-filled life, he said, is going to be in worship, speaking to one another. Here's that communal, that relationship with one another again, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says be filled with Christ, be filled with the love of God, be filled with spiritual maturity, and then he says be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control because he contrasts it with being drunk with wine. A person that's under the influence of alcohol doesn't think the way they normally think. They don't talk the way they normally talk. They don't walk the way they normally walk. They don't relate to others the way they normally would. A person that's intoxicated is under the influence of something. He's saying live under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit and you will be full. Be filled with the Spirit. Friend, it's not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's a Spirit taking control of you. The Spirit-filled life is God's design for every Christian. And you are filled with the Spirit when you are walking in wisdom. You are filled with the Spirit when you have praise and thanksgiving in your heart. You're filled with the Spirit when you demonstrate that with a submissive attitude towards other relationships around you. You don't have to have your way and claim your rights. Matter of fact, he talks after this about husbands and wives Parents and children, employers and employees. And he says, listen, if you're filled with the Spirit, it's going to show up in the everyday stuff of life if you're filled with the Spirit. Friends, you're either operating under the undertow of your flesh or out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit in any moment. There's times when I just had to stop in my day and say, Jim, you're walking in the flesh right now. Your attitude is not that of Christ. You need, to, you need to do an attitude adjustment. You need to confess that to God and get back to the place where you're living under the control of the Holy Spirit. God has a design for your life, friends, that's better than running on empty. God has a design for your life that includes being full in God. Think about it this way. One of the miracles in the Gospels that Jesus performed that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the feeding of the 5,000. There's a couple of miracles in that story. One of the miracles is how in the world Andrew, the disciple, ever got that little boy's lunch away from him. That's that's really a miracle. But Jesus has 5,000 men plus women and children there that all have aching stomachs. And Jesus takes that little boy's lunch and feeds all of them 
and then they are full, and there's 12 baskets full. Jesus can do that. Jesus can take your life and my life, and he can fill us in that way. When when Moses built the tabernacle and the furniture was in place and the priests had their garments on, God came and filled that place with the glory of his presence so that there was no room for anyone else to minister. And the same thing happened when Solomon built his temple. The glory of God filled. When the Spirit of God fills you, there's no room for pride and there's no room for sin. There's no room for selfishness. It's just room for God to do his work in you and through you. And Paul says, listen, you can be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. What would it be like if when you walked in this morning, if we all had a fuel gauge on our forehead? You know, way over here is E, quarter, half, three-quarter, full. And when you walked into church this morning, we could just kind of look at your forehead and know where you are. You may see, wow, that, man, man that, that sister, she's got it way over here. That brother, um, he's a little bit there. Man, they are redlining on empty over here. We may want to avoid them. No, reach out to them. Well, there's, there's ways to read it, friends. But where's your fuel gauge spiritually? Are you running on empty? If you're running on empty today, friends, please don't blame God. Because he's made every provision for you to live a life of spiritual fullness. Don't blame God. God in Christ and in his love and through all that he's provided in the body of Christ and his spirit's ministry, he's provided everything you need for a full life, friends. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have it and have it more abundantly. So if you're choosing this, I want to just say, stop. Just stop. God's got something better. And if you're trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in all the wrong places... Friends, listen, sin will never ultimately satisfy a human soul. For some of you, there's some things draining your fullness. Some things in your life that you know are just taking away from what it means to be full of Christ and full of his love and maturing in Christ and full of the Spirit. Friends, one of the best things you can do is run to God and say, I'm going to confess that. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn from that because I want to live a spiritually full life. You cannot walk down both roads, living a life dominated by sin and a life dominated by God. You can't walk down both roads at the same time. It's either or. And if you're not living a spiritually full life, that may be part of what you need to do. Here's another thing. Two of the passages we looked at today are prayers. End of Ephesians 1, end of Ephesians 3. Not hard to find. If you've never done so, I want to encourage you in this week to come to take those passages and literally to pray them several times. Just turn them into your own prayer. You may want to take a a, a more contemporary translation like the New Living Translation or something like that and just just read it and pray it. Read it and pray it. And, And you will find that God wants to give you a full heart and a full life. If your gauge is running on E and the light's blinking in your soul, God's saying, I've got something better for you. I've got something more. And what's one step you can take this week towards spiritual maturity in Christ? What's one change that God has his finger on in your life and saying, okay, this is the the next thing, the next step. Take it.
It may be to set aside time to be in the word. It may be taking time to pray. It may be confessing sin. It may be saying, I'm going to get connected in a small group this year because I'm not doing well trying to do this alone. And all four of these passages have to do with living in community with one another. For some of you may say, I need to take a class where I can learn something very particular that's going to help me. I need to take a step of baptism or church membership. Whatever it is, friends, listen to this. Can you imagine what God would do with a church full of people that are spiritually full? I mean, if everyone who names the name of Christ and names Chapel Point as their home said, I'm going to live not on the E, but on the full. I want to live a life that is full in Christ. It would transform your lives. It would transform marriages. It would transform families. It would transform workplaces. The overflow of that within the community would be so significant. The ripple effect of living spiritually full lives. You know why? Because our world is looking for something to to fill the emptiness inside their souls. People around you, on your cul-de-sac, where you work, where you go to school, they're looking for something that will feed that hunger inside. And only Jesus can do that. But when a person finds in Christ, they can find the only one who can satisfy. Jesus said, and he meant it, I'm come that they might have life, and they might have it to the full. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, forgive us for being willing to be satisfied with so little when you have given us so much. Forgive us for thinking that sin could ever satisfy a soul you created. Forgive us for choosing to run on empty when you've made every provision for us. Lord Jesus, we believe that for the believer in Jesus Christ, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And in that union, you have given us yourself and given all that we need. Thank you for your love. May we not just know about it and believe it, but may we experience what it means to be rooted and grounded in your love. 